They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave. Bye 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 bye. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right, David Hellard. How are you? I'm good, mate. I am good. Are we both eating? Are we both eating? And I'm just about to eat, but I'm too professional to be eating already. Are you eating? I'm already. I've started eating before we've even done the "Are you eating?" thing. I, I I forgot that our continuity Wait, is going to be very poor. It's not a thing. It's it's not a thing, and I it's not like we've planned. A, how about we both eat? And then we'll <laughs> talk about are you eating? It's, it's not on our list of things to do. I mean, it, we know, we know. that's just a, a level of unprofessionalism that is, I'd say, even beyond us. Uh, I I know that one of, some of the most popular feedback is when we interview guests who are eating. Or when we are eating. Uh, and so I thought, you know, we'd, we'd replicate that as well. Because it's been a while since we've had an episode where we've been eating and, and trying to present at the same time. But we're doing it all, we're doing it all for the purposes of, um, of sponsorship. Indeed. Well, it makes it a lot more relaxed, doesn't it? You feel more at home. But unless you're on a, if you're on a long run and your hair is eating, it might be, oh, you might get really hungry. Just, oh. Well, it might put, you off, like, might put you off your food, one or the other. It could be, that's true. But welcome to the podcast, listeners, do-badders. Um, welcome to Bad Boy Running. We have got a treat for you tonight. We have. Well, not, no, and we've got a great guest too. <laughs> Indeed, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to be, hopefully, assuming our editing skills and uh, coordination work well enough. We're going to be interviewing Nikki Spinks later, who is a queen amongst running mortals. But um, we we've also we've got some. Wait a minute! Wait, 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 wait! A queen amongst running mortals. Have you got your, your metaphor <laughs> mixed up there? <laughs> a queen among us running peasants, or a goddess among running mortals? Surely. Well, no, no, because I want her to be in touch. Still, she's not. She's not unobtainable. You know, she's she's a woman of the people. I don't. I. I don't think royalty is immortal. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I think they're chosen by. They're chosen That's by gods. They're not gods. Are they? I don't want no, to. Te- I don't want to call you out on a technicality here, but I am. It is. It is a good point. Um, I mean, my metaphors are never my strength. But um, they often use the the cloudiness they create to to get away with the, the evil that's behind the deed. But um, welcome to the podcast, listener. Welcome to Bad Boy Running, where us mortals will be interviewing the holy cow that is Nikki. So I've done it again. Done that's it again. just that's not good. <laughs> That's not the sacred cow, not the holy cow. Sacred you're not Batman. Cow. Well, I, I mean, if you're going to go wrong, go wrong twice. You might flip reverse it. Go on, you're going to do a hat trick. Go on, mis- mispronounce someone's name. Do it. <laughs> I, I'm going to call her Nikki Spanks if I'm not careful. <laughs> but she does spank the opposition, so Shall it would be you, appropriate. I tell you what, I had a story to tell you which is related to Spanks. Oh, what a coincidence. Well, it's not really related to Spanx. It was, it, it was related to the man who married the woman who invented Spanx. Mr. Spanx? No, no, his name's not Mr. Spanx. Mrs. Spanx wasn't the person that uh, invented Spanx. 
Oh, okay, okay. Do you know, but, what, spanks, um, do you know what spanks are? Aren't they um, tight with the feet cut out? That's right. You've got good spanks knowledge. Why do you I, know that? I, You've worn them, haven't you? You've worn them to Madoc or something. Wearing them. <laughs> no, I was. Um, do, they, do they cut? Do they come in a beer, beer fifty-two this month? What? <laughs> it's a perfect compliment. Stop the beer belly. <laughs> to, uh, to hide that little bulge. I was watching Shark Tank last week or two weeks ago, and the founder of Spanx was one of the sharks. Oh! I suddenly what? found out what what Spanx were. Sarah. Sarah. Um... What's her surname? I wouldn't remember. She was she was only on it for one episode. She seemed very nice though. She seemed very happy to be um, to be spanked. She goes no. to bed. She goes to bed dead on nine thirty. Does she? Yeah. She'll even leave meals to go to her bed dead on nine thirty. What time does she get up? Well, I imagine very early, unless she's one of those people that sleeps for like fourteen hours. I mean, it almost to me. Early riser, I, I I do find that quite impressive. I get that, but surely the point of rising early is because you you you're, you're up to seize the day to get extra time. Whereas if you go to bed early, then you're just shifting your sleep pattern rather than seizing the day. Maybe, but you're going to like this story, okay? So okay. But before okay. we go into the story, we're drinking. What are we drinking? Well, I I'm just about it. Basically, I I forgot that Beer 52 is to the sponsor. So I got the box. <laughs> Any future sponsors, try and remind <laughs> us that you're sponsored. <laughs> I got the box and I put it in the corner. And so none of my beer is chilled. Um, but actually, I thought this is quite appropriate because this month, Beer 52 are doing a theme. They do a theme of a different region each month. And this month it's Korea. Some of it South Korea, some of it North Korea. And I thought, what better way to remind yourself of the horrific torture that happens in North Korea than a warm beer? <laughs> that is torture, a warm beer, isn't it? It is. So I'm going to go, there's, there's one, there's a can with a wall on it. Oh, it's Trumpian. It's a Trumpian wall, almost. Exactly. I mean, what better way? I mean, that absolutely sums up the next meeting between North Korea and Trump, doesn't it? Korean writing on a brick wall. So um, oh, oh. I'm, go- I'm going in for that, whatever it may be. Oh, wait, mine, mine's just spilled mine over my laptop. <laughs> but listen, listen, if you'd like to drink along with us, go to beer52.com slash badboyrunning slash, I think that's all you type in, and you can get your own crate for um, £2.95 delivery. £5.95. Uh, oh, it's just gone up. It's gone up. Yeah. You're too slow. You're too, slow, to... you're too slow now. That's still pretty damn good, though, because you get eight beers and you get a snack, which is no longer those... What was the thing before? They were like corn, Crispy weren't rice. they? Crispy Pop. corn. What was it? What were they called? I can't remember what it was called. Something Anyway, corn. now, cheeky peas, curry-flavoured roast chickpeas. Oh, can't they're nice. They're nice. They, okay. they haven't made it to the episode because um, the, uh, the, the wife and child decided to, to crack into a into those much earlier on but um do they go rooting around your goodies they certainly do do they drink the beers as well uh, sometimes oh fair play fair play so we're um we're going to be drinking some oh, so what's North it called so what's it called so what's the name of it um it's seongsu I mean, dong pale ale seongsu dong the first, the first sign looks like 
someone in a wheelchair <laughs> with a small baby. The next sign looks like a T with a. It's a thing. Like it's a, like someone jumping over a T. Yeah, someone jumping over a T. The other one and is. And the a, last one is, is, is five sixths. Five sixths, yeah. So, so what that, whatever that is in Korean, that's I mean, what the mean, is. That means steps. The band steps in Step. Korean. Oh, does it? I don't know. Ah. I doubt it. So it's better the devil you know. No, that was a Kylie cover by them, wasn't it? Anyway, anyway. All right, Spanx. So we'll go back to Spanx. Okay. So you're going to like this. So uh, there's a couple of um, books I've listened to on Audible recently, which are great. And they're not about running, but they feature running a lot and ultra running and stuff like that. And one of the books is uh, by a guy called Jesse Itzler. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a, uh, like a billionaire entrepreneur. He's married to Sarah Blakely, that's her name, who is the founder of Spanx. Now, he, um, he's brilliant. Um, so the book that I, uh, I was listening to is called um, Living, with a, Living with a Seal. So Living with a Navy Seal. So basically what he did, he was doing this 100-mile um, uh, no, 24-hour race as a relay team. Mm. And while he was doing it, um, he found this guy running on his own for the whole way who at the 50 mile mark broke pretty much all of his metatarsals but still carried on. What? How did he do that? <laughs> it's just insane. And so, to do them all, it almost implies that you said that as if that was part of the challenge. <laughs> no, well, it seems smashed his mouth out, and then like, come on, come on, let's smash them all. Like, oh, page oh, must be amazing. I'll hammer them all, see what happens. So, so he was absolutely fascinated by this guy, and then um, found out who this guy was after the race. Found out who the guy was, phoned him up, and um, said to him, "Will you come and live with me for a month?" Uh, I want to get that mindset that you've got. And this this Navy SEAL basically moved in with him for a month, lived in his house and everything, um, and trained him and you know, did all this like crazy stuff. And it's absolutely brilliant. So that's a great recommendation. Um, and I'd, I'd recommend getting it on Audible rather than reading it because so, Jesse is a, um, does it. But Jesse, is there, he's amazing. He's like he's, he's an entrepreneur. He um, used to own um, Zico. Was he an entrepreneur before? Yeah, he was an entrepreneur before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he uh, okay. uh, used to own uh, Zico Water. Um, I can't remember the name of the jet, uh, private jet company he used to own as well. But he, he went to this event. And this is how he, I know about Sarah Blakely um, um, going to bed early he went to this event and they were all sat around at dinner and all of a sudden this woman stood up and said oh I need to go to bed now it's like 9.30 or something and left and he was just like well that's, that's a bit weird um, he, he felt he kind of fell in love with her at first sight and in order to get on her radar he was about to run this um, 100 miler and he phoned up and he said to and he kept trying to yeah, phone up the PA trying to get through to the PA and he said uh, eventually got her on the phone by saying that if if he um, he would be glad to run this 100 miler wearing Spanx and all of a sudden that piqued her interest and she got on the phone <laughs> to him and the rest is history and I thought that sounds like a classic hellard move it does it does I'm trying to think what Briggsy well Briggsy works in reinsurance brokering <laughs> <So> maybe <laughs> That insurance seems to be a ver- a match made in heaven for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of the races I do definitely need insurance, like through Afghanistan. But I've already won her heart, thankfully. So, um, but maybe we need, should do that future sponsorship. I, th- I like the idea of that. I like the idea of um, people trying to win the hearts of the of the of the person they're besotted with by offering to run, wearing, or in some way representing something that's important to them. 
I wonder if any did he, did, he, did he, he run it in Spanx? No, he didn't. He didn't in the end. But they did. They, what? They, no, I know. I know. That was like that's disappointing. Although, in a way, genius. He probably wasn't even signed up. I, I don't know. It was brilliant, brilliant. But but that that whole book is brilliant. And he you know he talks about the, some of the races he does and stuff like that. But what's really good is that um, after he never reveals who this Navy SEAL is. But a few months after. The guy that was revealed to be it was a guy called David Goggins. Now, I don't know if you know anything about David Goggins, but he's been he's been doing a lot of press recently, and he's this Navy SEAL who uh, who is who is crazy. It takes like like extreme to, to to another level, and he's just released a book um, called Can't Hurt Me. And of course, he's got this horrible backstory of like abuse and all sorts of stuff, and. He's just turned himself. It, it, it's just nothing is too hard for him to do to try himself. He's like he's a proper example of someone who pushes his absolute limits to try and do. You know, even like going through like the Navy SEALs. That he wasn't happy with just the Navy SEALs. He had to try and get in the top top unit in the in the Navy SEALs. He wasn't happy with just doing that. He decided to join the Army Rangers and do their course. He did like the Navy. Was Se- he the guy who killed Osama bin Laden? No, no, he wasn't. No, but he okay. was in. He that would, would have been good. That would have been the best. He would the best. He, but but if he'd given him a chance, he would have done. Um, yeah. But he was in the same. Um, oh, what's the name of the guy? Who is it? Chris Kyle, the uh, American sniper guy. Um, he was in. He, he he was in the the Navy SEALs entrance. Uh, he went through Navy SEALs. Uh, what's it called? Um, what's it called? Entry um, uh, exam and what's it called? The B What is that? <laughs> the B <B-tech. laughs> No, what's it called? Like there. What's the thing that you did? Hell Week. Went through, he went Hell. through the Special Forces Hell Week <laughs> three times. He got, he got past day five. I mean, <laughs> he, all he needed to do was ten press-ups, and that was amazing. <laughs> he, didn't he, did have he, he did it three times. He did it three times. He did it, yeah, but it's, it's an amazing story. And, um, but he's done low, and, and so now he's an ultra runner. And so he's done, he's done um, uh, things like Bad Water, and stuff. It was amazing. Like he'd never, he'd never run a race over like a sort of like a, a marathon or whatever. And um, phoned up, um, uh, emailed. What's it called? The guy. I can't remember the name of the uh, the race director of uh, Badwater. And said, "Oh yeah, can you let me in? I'm doing a thing for charity." And this guy's like, "No." Uh, and they had this really like quite an amusing exchange where this guy said to him, "Oh, you you've got to go and do uh, like a, a hundred mile race within a certain amount of time in order to qualify." And of course, he just goes out the next week and does it, and you know, completely destroys himself. He can you know he can barely walk. <laughs> I even think he like breaks his leg or something like that. You know, and then go comes back to the to the race director and says, "What is his running style like? Oh, I mean, I he's that- got to have." Some really weird game. <laughs> to break all your metatarsals, then your leg. You, if you listen to it, he literally he has like a heart defect. Uh, he has all, so many problems. Uh, is that, he the Terminator? Yeah, he is actually like it. If you if you go onto YouTube and look him up, it's just he is insane. Like the, the we should just, get him on the podcast. Well, I thought that, and I, it, he wouldn't be very funny. Yeah, but. I think it would be quite entertaining still. I think uh, I, it, the reason we, I was going to suggest it, but the reason is at the moment, because the book has just come out, he's, he's everywhere. And I, I think, you know, I think 
I, I'm sorry to say this, David, but I do think that we might not be first in the pecking order in terms of <laughs> in terms of the press and everything. Not, I, I, I know that's sort of, that's sort of quite damaging, but uh, but yeah. So I, I do. I, I maybe get him on or, or like Jesse or something. But it, it is insane. You should like listen to the audio book. It is insane that like the stuff that he goes through and. The other thing they make to is that he recognises, so he doesn't quite read the audiobook, another guy reads it through it, and then they do this weird thing of like a little podcast interview at the end of every chapter, where the, the person narrating it goes, really? Did that happen? And he, some of this stuff is so unbelievable that they had to, that the publishers went back and fact-check all of it with interviews, because <laughs> they just didn't believe that some of the stuff was true. But it's yeah, it's brilliant, and yeah, you know, he's, a, he's an ultra runner uh, now, and he's like competing in some of the things, and it's and good, he wins them as well. Yo, know, he's not like a oh, I'm an also ran you know who's basically yeah. you know who's, who's raising some money for charity. He's you know he's he's winning stuff as well. He's he also holds the um, world record for the most pull ups in 24 hours or something. He just keeps How doing many like is it? it's something insane, like about five thousand or something. Just it's something ridiculous. Well, um, we'll, I reckon we can. I'll, what's his name? I'll go and find him. David and, um, Goggins. Well, at least. Say again? David Goggins. David Goggins, right. You heard it first, Dubalas. Let's He's get it. He's going to be on the podcast next week. <laughs> <laughs> unless, he breaks or something, unless he breaks something in his hospital. <laughs> yeah. I can't You're imagine saying, he's saying, a guy. Why, is, why are you so clumsy, David? Why do you keep breaking <laughs> stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, um... Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And actually, I want to I want to get some more audio books to listen to when I run because I did my first long run for probably about six months. Oh, really? After, yeah, I forgot how long it takes. Oh man, how long did it mi- take? It's just twenty miles, so it wasn't wasn't that far really in the grand scheme of things. If you think about that's the thing about running: as soon as you stop doing something, you actually lose the ability to. Um, well, not as soon as, but given that. For quite a long time, 20 miles would be every week at least once. And then suddenly you get to 14 miles and I'm like, oh, my God. But um, anyway, anyway. Um, do, you know we, is, do you know how long it is since I've done a long run? Ooh, I mean, when was, when was MDS? 2007? <laughs> <laughs> MDS 1, the MDS that I, yeah. that I invented. Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, the last time I did, like, a long run, it, it's got to be going on for about nine months or something now actually the last long run I did was 10 to pass 100 I think oh god I mean it's depressing isn't it and actually it's not just your body it's your mind your mind forgets you get used to just going out for that long and settling to that rhythm yeah and when you come back to it oh that's what that's what scares me about 100 milers but um we need to have a catch up about the national running show oh my goodness this is this is where it all changed. Oh, what changed? Um, my perception of bad boy running from an external perspective. True, true. I think. Don't you? Don't you think it's like a bit of a turning point? We became a monster. <laughs> we became a monster that was out of control. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't just us out of control this time. <laughs> and, and and the main main takeaway was that everyone wanted to speak to Ali and not us. <laughs> <laughs> and right so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> you were talking to me i was going david please shut up i want to speak to ali <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, but 
It was, um, I mean, what did you think of it overall? I thought, like I think most things to do with running, it was going to be so boring. Um, yeah. Because it's just fundamentally about running, and I thought, you know, but it, but it was great. Part, the show itself was great, and also the fact that we had a, a load of do-badders on a stand that was just brilliantly organised, that was great as well. Yeah, so good. And, um, and especially... Compared to, well, I've only ever done expos or marathons. Yeah, no, that's really, the only thing I've ever seen. And they're dollars anyway. And even though, yeah, it, it, you've got to be quite a big marathon to have an expo that's more than just a, a pickup, really. Yeah. Probably the majors and maybe one or two others. Um, but yeah, oh. Should I tell the do badders about how my running show began? Oh, God. Do you know what? Everyone forgets it and then you. <laughs> Go on, do it. <laughs> oh, it's just what just what a decision to make. Unilateral decision as well. What do you mean to, to post? Yes. Or to Well <laughs> Still out there. Still out there. But do so do badders. This is um I'm gonna this, give this, this a disgusting. rating a PG. A PG rating. But um to set the scene, National Running Show, quite a big deal for us I'd say, because we'd been given a stand, um well, not given, but we we basically got a stand, and um, that was going to be quite a lot of exposure for us. Ali and I um, were presenting at the show, and Jodie and I were going to be interviewing as well. So all of that felt like we couldn't just completely mess this up because it could actually damage the podcast and people's <laughs> perception of it forever. So a little bit of pressure to to not be complete, complete uh, fuck ups, basically. So the morning of the show. I decided I'm going to run in, get my run out of the way. How, yeah, how do we, how do, how do we, knowing that, knowing that there's all this new attention on us, how, how do we, how do we kick off that? Well, I think that makes sense, you know, you look like a runner, live, live and breathe running. So, um, we, I, I, I set off in the morning, uh, nice and early, 12 miles through the, the back streets of, of Birmingham. Quite nice to start with, and then properly industrial. And that's when, suddenly my stomach started to rebel. And I've had that before. I mean, we've all run with stomach issues, I guess, but I've never had it to this scale where I was suddenly in this estate area where there was no greenery, there were no shops, there was nothing open at all. It's probably about eight o'clock in the morning. And then my stomach took over and started to, uh, well, let's just say I was no longer in control with... The, the comings and the goings of, uh, of the stomach. <laughs> so I didn't know what to do. Um, I saw there's a Lidl's with a car park that was closed, but there was kind of greenery around the car park. So I then started to like slowly walk to the corner, um, each, each step opening up the sluice gate that was my bottom. And, um, Thankfully, I was wearing not just shorts, but undershorts. And so I then got to the corner and had to get rid of the evil from within. But the unfortunate thing was, while I was doing this, the staff of Lidl's were loading and unloading the van. Um, all, all, all in plain sight of me. And they were, they were far enough away that I wasn't 100% sure that they were looking at me because... They certainly weren't trying to catch my eye or, or vice versa. Maybe they were. 
but when you run in the mornings, um, you know, in, in, in the winter, you tend to wear quite bright clothing. So um, fluorescent yellow in the corner of a car park um, with your shorts right down your ankles, basically crapping yourself. Quite, quite notable. So then, so then I had this... Represent. <laughs> Thankfully, I wasn't wearing a do-bad atop. That would have, although that would have been great. Bad boy. <laughs> And that was bad boy in the top. I mean, well, if you'd have worn an Edinburgh Marathon top or something. Or... <laughs> I mean, I'd happily have used that and thrown it away. <laughs> get used to it. But, um, but then I, so I, had, I, I took my shorts off. and I, Well, I had my shorts and my undershorts on. And my undershorts were not in the kind of state of, um, of colouring that they could be, could be saved, should we say. But then I had this choice of I've got to somehow try and get these off without the tension slipping so that it then goes everywhere, which meant I had to spread my legs out as far as possible. <laughs> and I had the choice of, do I look them in the eye as I try and take my shorts off? Or do I kind of save the embarrassment in a way by turning round, knowing what that was going to reveal to them? Um, so I on, kind of looking down at the ground. And then took the the undershorts off. Um, thankfully, kind of used those to, to to mop up most of the the horror that had happened. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> didn't know what to do with those. So I just kind of it was one of those car parks where on the edge it had metal gates oh, yeah, that went yeah. into like wasteland. So I kind of chucked them in there. I mean, I were, they bought they were present actually from Claire. So um, I didn't tell her that. They're currently in a, the corner of a little park. Oh, that's the, that's where, where they all go to die. <laughs> they do, and that's when I thought I've got to I've got to save the, the situation. There's got to be positive this. I thought we, we people always talk about how Instagram never tells the true story of a runner, and they're complaining that it's all you know filtered, blah blah blah. So I thought, well, what better way to show that we tell it all? Um, so quick Instagram photo. Um, Back up with the the outer shorts, which, while sullied, weren't um, weren't coloured, should we say? Uh, just just juicy, juicy, not meaty, juicy, not meaty. So, disgusting. <laughs> so I then had, I then had, and actually, while this is happening, this was in this is about minus was one this, degree. Did all of this happen in the space of about eight seconds or something? Because at the moment, <laughs> it feels like it's been going on for an hour. <laughs> It really did. It really took forever. I mean, it's why I so late into the show. It, 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 I mean, it, it probably took me about eight minutes, that, that um, interaction, which, which meant that most people who were bringing the trolleys in came out four or five times in the space of that time. So uh, <laughs> no idea if they were talking about me. or, or But anyway, um, so apologies, Liddles. It's, it's no reflection on, on how I view your, your produce. Um, although I'm certainly not going to be buying chocolate mousse from you again, um, <laughs> just through, just through the association. But, um, so, and it was unbelievably cold as well. So when, you know, when I was dangling out, Oh my God, like these Arctic wings, winds all around me. But anyway, um, so I then had still left about a seven mile run with these, um, juicy shorts knowing that as I entered, I had no idea what they looked like, what I looked like, but probably a bit of a filth bag. Um, thankfully, there was a McDonald's. I mean, when is McDonald's ever great to see? 
but oh my god those golden arches so I went in there kind of cleaned myself up as, as best I could um, <laughs> paused, paused as long as I could posted to Instagram and then did my seven mile run feeling like hell um, but actually thankfully I was listening to a podcast by um, Adam Buxton with Tim Keyes where Tim Keyes is telling a story of when he forgot his lines in, in the play three times in a row and they had to keep on doing it and it was so horrific that actually it made me feel not so bad about my situation but um, yeah we then get to what? the running how is, that, how is that comparable? Well I think the the horror of being on stage not knowing your line and that happening three times while people are staring at you clearly thinking rather than you emptying your bowels in front of <laughs> in front of little staff several times well it was it was more of the pain that he clearly suffered and the trauma he'd gone through i thought well that's probably what the, the littles people are experiencing currently but <laughs> they're um, gonna keep coming back they're like we don't want to go back out there go and get the trolleys but no you don't know what it's like you know you weren't there man <laughs> Oh man! And and least, so uh, at least we can we'll, we'll hide inside and we'll escape this horror by having a look on our Instagram feed. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I should have tagged it to uh, one of those Google reviews for, for the venue. <laughs> you should have done. Tagged it to Little and go. I came to your car park today. Look at the state of it. <laughs> <laughs> look what I found. <laughs> he was absolutely disgusted. So go on. So you're running back for. So you've destroyed a little car park. You've destroyed a McDonald's toilets. What what, what happened uh, next? But then even running to the NEC, it's it's not as if there's an entrance on Google for the NEC. Oh so. no, there's not. It's a pain, isn't it? Oh man, it's not, so, made, it's not made for walking in or pedestrians or anything. Not at all. So I ended up scaling a couple of fences and ended up, it's like 14 mile run in the end. But, um, oh my God, thank you. Well, first got in there and I'd, I'd, I'd spoken to Ali. I, I called Ali from the McDonald's saying, by the way, um, and she'd posted something about, she's, I don't think she's in the greatest mood. I'm like, don't worry, buddy. I've just shat myself and I'm going to be at least an hour late. So just to let you know, um, was that, so you, or I, was, was that you or Ali who said that? I can't understand. Oh, so I called her. To, well, I mean, she's <laughs> Ali's, Ali's too, uh, too, too lovely to ever go through those kind of situations herself. But um, so I called her just to let her know I was going to be late. But and so when I came into the show, firstly, what do people want to do? They want to come and shake your hand. And <laughs> as you walk in, it's 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 all the exhibitors there. You know, half them you're like they're eh. high fiving, <laughs> and it's it is not as if you like you may have I'd, I'd wash my hands by that stage, but. My eyes still told the story, I think. Like the, that shame doesn't keep me for a good half a day. Um, and so then, yeah, went up to the stand, well aware that um, Ali probably updated people on the situation. And, and well, firstly, thank you, Runderwear. Oh, my word. Thank you for giving me some shorts, some undershorts, absolute saviours. Um, and two times you as well for uh, for giving me some... Some shorts as well. So, oh, so that's the start of the national running show. Come again? <laughs> <laughs> well, I drove up on but that yeah, morning. How what? How did you How did you find the show? <laughs> I thought it was great. I thought the the way that when I turned up because I had all the merch, so there was a bit of concern because I had to drive up in the morning. Um, and yeah, and it was great. And so I got there, and uh, yeah, bought all the merch in and stuff, and. They've done an amazing job, like, dressing the stand. I was worried. I was thinking, oh, what else are we going to put on the stand? It's really difficult to see. 
but they dressed the stand amazingly. Like mm-hmm. we had like the whiteboard and all the merch out and all the things, you know, all the all the uh, flags and everything like that. And it really, I think it really stood out compared with a lot of the other, yeah. lot of the other things. And also having the um, the the beer barrel there as well with the sports beer and, was and great. Just so many doobats as well, smiling and chatting to everyone. It was incredible. The the, the thing that made me realise that, that this is it. Okay, I should never talk about our podcast. <laughs> I should never sit because. When you do, when you talk about it yourself, mm-hmm. it just kind of sounds pathetic. Whereas if someone else talks about it, it sounds all right. Because people are going, "Oh, what's bad boy running podcast?" And you're like, uh, "Me and a friend, we just like talk about stuff, not really a lot about running." Um, Either that, or you sound like a dick because you're you're blowing your own trumpet, or you're trying to make out that oh, it's really funny. Cause it's we're, really funny, guys. Really funny. The amount of people like at the Coming up because they about these two very attractive men, <laughs> attractive <laughs> poshos who, uh, <laughs> oh, who who are these people? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I've not <laughs> met them. I've not met them, but uh, um, but uh, but yeah. So like people coming up and saying that they they really like all the uh, you know all the all the uh, the quotes and stuff, and then mm. there, were, there were there were quite a lot of triathletes there, and they were going, oh, oh yeah yeah, should we buy this? I'm like, mm, I don't want to put you off this purchase but you might want to listen to the podcast first. <laughs> it's not for you. It's I just, yeah, you. I just, I just don't, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure you're going to like it because we, we don't talk cheating that much on it. Although we seem to have in loads of cyclists on it and triathletes and, and stuff. We probably, we probably, we have, a, we do have a huge amount of triathletes actually on the, on the podcast. But um, but yeah, I I thought it was good. What was your what? The, the other thing that I liked was the fact that we're going. Oh yeah, we're going to. Uh, it's great to it's great to meet you know some of the people that listen to it and everything like that. <laughs> and then we just go and sit in the VIP tent for ages. <laughs> sorry, sorry. We're just mixing with. Uh, hey, how did Mark Atkinson get in the VIP tent with his run like duck thing? <laughs> I'm not sure. How did he get in there? There's so many people in there. I was thinking. I've no idea how all these people have managed to, because I think a lot of people could be volunteers and then then get in as a place to to escape. But it did seem there were a lot of people lurking to then get photos with uh, Paula or Roger Black or um, or us or the like or us or us, us obviously, obviously. Us, yeah, that happened a lot. A lot of people wanted photograph. Actually, it's weird when people ask for selfies and stuff. You must have got that loads. Not really. No, no. Because um, well, I wasn't often at the stand because I was often um, on stage. Well, e- even the toilets kind of wiping up, or <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes on stage, or, or also doing lots of kind of the interviews for um, Mike. But yeah, I thought it was really great actually. Like the, I was worried the speakers it was going to be because I think a show like that it's always quite hard because they're they're trying to get almost names for people who are kind of runners, but to get them exciting. And so um, um, I was worried it was going to be a bit bland. But actually, some of the speakers are really, really fun and really good. And I mean, we know quite a few of them. I mean, Brendan's been on the show. Um, we've, we've got a few more we've booked in for future episodes already. Um, but yeah, the, I, felt, I thought it was really good. The size of the, the pre- where the speak, speeches happened is a nice little area. You know, you could get yeah. a lot of people in there. There's there's quite a, a, a bit to do other than just seeing the ex- exhibitions, but also you never see a lot of the 
brands that were there, you never really see them at the other shows because if you go to a marathon show, it's nearly all. Oh, Asics and Nike and Adidas and yeah, they they dominate the whole thing, don't they? Or it's it's just city marathons, which the stand is so boring because it's just a picture of the the most famous tourist um, building in their city and flyers. Or you get kind of K K T tape K the 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 emergency oh, you're yeah. running the marathon tomorrow right we're going to sell you stuff because you're panicked and so you don't really there's so many brands that were there that don't fit into that or can't afford that where it's nice actually to and we're gonna we're gonna speak to um, Carol Armitage in a couple of weeks he he does running chocolate sports chocolate and sports chocolate sports chocolate I mean I've that stuff was gorgeous. <laughs> It was really nice. Actually, that's what I'm going to talk to. Basically, I wanted to convince me that I need to eat more chocolate because um, that way well, I, don't, I, just I don't need to convince you of that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there are lots of little brands like that where you just wouldn't, you, you don't even know of the products. And I think that's when it's interesting where, it, you know, as someone from London, I can go to a lot of shops and see most types of brands and most of us can go online and buy a lot of different products without necessarily yeah. having to you know, trape somewhere to research it. But actually, there's a lot of discovery that you could do while you're there. And also meeting some of the other communities, you know, like uh, Mumsnet, not Mumsnet, um, what is it's it? Mum run, Runs. Mum, run Money, Mummy Run. Yeah, that's it. Um, but the, um, the yeah. thing, like, like the stand you'd never see, like the White Star Running Stand is like a mm-hmm. a picture. I mean, it's like, it's so... It's so garish and interesting and completely different from anything you'd see at a running yeah. expo. Completely stood different. Out so much. Yeah. yeah so, and I, I mean, I, I think it was, it was probably pretty good for them because when you saw it, they've got bags with I've got willies. They've got um, <laughs> these Sofa the giraffe. Sofa the giraffe, I kept thinking calling it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... Um, and then these garish T-shirts that they do, amazing medals. Um, and that was the thing. It was, a, it was just nice to actually to feel like there was a, a real contrast rather than just road marathons. Mm. And um, I know next year, so I don't know if we can reveal it, but we're, we're going to be quite heavily revol- involved next year, do batters in a way that I think is going to really excite you. But they're going more after ultra. They're going more after obstacle race. And, and so hopefully it is going to turn into something where you can turn up as someone who likes a type of running and really get to understand the other elements of the sport. Because I think that's what an event like that should be for. Yeah, yeah. You can go a bit deeper and stuff. Because, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? It's very difficult sometimes, I think, with those because it's going to be very... It has very broad interests, and you get you'll get that. You know, like when someone turns up at a marathon expo, you kind of know what distance they're gonna <laughs> they're interested in. Mm. Whereas at these races, mm. at these um, at this type of conference, there's gonna be all sorts of things. I mean, like there's no such thing as an ultra expo. Like no one puts on expos for mm. ultras and things like that. So you know, if you if you want to see stuff like that, you you've got to go to the shops or online or you know, um, or occasionally there'll be there'll be people coming and things like that. So actually, the mm. opportunity to really explore those particular niches in in some kind of depth at those, I think it'd be that's, that'd be really interesting. And, um, and something like the London Marathon as well. I mean, the, the, I, I do wonder what percentage of people who do London would consider themselves. Well, what percentage of them in two years' time 
would still be regularly running? You know, and what percentage of people who are just doing a marathon as a one-off and maybe go for a jog once a week for a bit of fitness? You know, whereas this is people who are genuinely, you know, everyone there is genuinely interested about running enough to go to the expo. And so the um, the percentage of, of of passionate people walking around is, is far, far higher. Um, yeah, so I, I can't, I'm really excited actually for next year just to see how it grows, how it progresses. It'd be interesting to see with, because I've been speaking to um, to the guys at Cliff Bar and, and a few other of the, of the brands I know who've been kind of watching and, and trying to get a sense of what it's like. And it'd be interesting to see whether the big brands do suddenly come in and you do have your Nike, your Adidas, because I, I don't know if that will make, it might, it could make it better and it, or it might make it worse. I haven't, I haven't figured that out yet in my head because I think if it, if they if they come in and they're 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 putting on activities and they're offering more than just come and tr- buy the shoes, yeah. Then hopefully their involvement will um, financially be able to then allow for a lot of smaller brands to yeah. come in and take smaller plots and you know make the ultra the ultra area an area where we can suddenly have loads of little brands that wouldn't necessarily be able to come into a running show yeah. but it suddenly makes sense and, so, and, and, it, do, and do something a bit different as well like you know there's they're very limited limited uh things like marathon expos by mm. how much you can actually do i mean like you do those things of like you know, try and run the same speed as you know kipchoge or whatever you know and those kind of things but you can't really do too much because you don't want to you know risk injuries or anything else like that yeah. but actually outside of that outside of the you know marathon season you know are there activities are there things that you can do within that space that actually you you wouldn't normally be able to do at a marathon expo is it it's an opportunity to maybe just think a bit think a bit differently and you know use the space in a different way and have really technical workshops because people can actually replicate what you're doing there as you say without fear of tiredness or yeah. fear of injury and but also you people can you know when you're at the London Marathon you don't want to hear about how to improve really no no it's all you want to hear about yeah you want to hear about how to pace it and you want to hear from someone who just gives you a bit of confidence yeah. everything else is actually going to make it worse for you yeah. So, um, yeah, anything that's going to still doubt in your mind is going to be is going to negatively impact you. So, um, what I think we need to talk about speeches. Speech, okay, yes. So talks. Yes. So, um, so Ali's talk. Did you was, see them all? No, no, no. no I only came and watched yours and uh, Ali's. Um, so Ali's was great, as you expected to be. Really good. Really, really, really I good. I thought it was even. I thought it was even better than I was expecting it to be. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I marked it down on mention of LSE, um, yeah. which did, yeah. did taint it somewhat. Um, but I mean, but, that's when the, the the crowd started to boo, really. Didn't they? <laughs> it was. Yeah, we did lead, we did lead point. it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, say so the crowd, you and I, yeah, and then possibly Andy from White Star, Andy Palmer. But, uh. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but but yeah, I, I, what I like is Ali's message that so because it's so it's so different from everyone because we're talking about you know about um, you know running helps your mental health. Well, that's patently not true for Ali. Uh, and so, you know, and she was just like, yeah, it can, it can just as quite easily you know, screw up your mental health as it as it can. And it all depends on how you think. And so it's, it's not a, it's not the mess. It's not quite the narrative that sometimes 
like the running press and everything try to push on mental health that mental health is yeah. you know running is great for mental health blah 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 so she offered an alternative to it which I think is, was really thought provoking but um, especially that I didn't know like when she talked through how she changed her view of because as you say people think of you've got mental health right go for a run that's the magic pill and yeah yeah exactly I, had, I hadn't realised she'd gone through this um, this change of of thinking about running and also change of approaching about running because it was not helping and now it is and so I didn't understand that actually until she said it and she said it so eloquently um in a way I I, I think it was probably wasted on some of the crowd because it was probably a little bit too um just too thought-provoking and interesting for I mean, the crowd was tough going I'd say sometimes but well the thing is about the thing about a crowd at a running show is it's full of runners yeah, but um, even for that, they, it was just such low energy. Um, we, we were... <laughs> Let's talk about yours then, because I think <laughs> <laughs> you you tried to make it high energy. You tried so hard to start off with oh, that. Oh man! And you you managed, I think you managed to get more of a, like a cheer out of them than anyone else had done, apart from maybe Paula Radcliffe just walking up on on stage. <laughs> yeah, Paula did a fart or something. Yeah, exactly. And people were like genius. Um, but yeah, I think I think you I think you made an effort. What I liked about this is that I knew that you'd missed the um, the morning briefing where they test all your presentations and stuff. Oh, do they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, I, because because I was supposed to be giving you a lift and you were and you and you came in by train in the end. So you'd missed so you'd missed you'd missed that when they tested it out and so i thought oh this is going to be ace because there's going to be there's going to be some kit issue or something like that and actually it, it wasn't too bad i mean you know what was missed but i don't think it made a difference at all i thought you, yeah because I, I thought i thought your presentation was really really good it was i thought it was really oh, really good, original man. yeah because i just thought you, you're absolutely right it's a, it was completely original in actually comparing like don't do the marathon majors um don't uh, you know do, do these other things instead and actually have a bigger impact and I've, I really like the way that you compared all the different elements of it you know this is what registration looks like at London this is what registration looks like when you go to Sierra Leone this is and I just thought it was brilliant well I think un- unusually um, I think Ali and I both thought about what would be good for people to listen to as opposed to this is what I want to tell you yeah uh, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not putting that out all the speakers because actually there are some really good, I mean, obviously people like Hugh Brasson were there who is just adorable to speak to even if he's reading their phone book, let alone... Am I allowed to, to see Bugger? Him. Am I allowed to see Bugger? <laughs> That's what he kept saying. I don't know what accent that was, by the way. <laughs> That's it. It seems to be West Country. But he kept, he was, it, before his talk, he was, he was stressing about the fact that he had the word Bugger in it. I'm like, I think that's all right, to be honest. I don't, that's not really a swear word. Yeah, no, especially not from his lips. But um, yeah, a lot, quite a few of the talks, and actually that was the thing that did frustrate me. Um, I don't think she'll be listening, thankfully, but the talk before um, Ali had overrun and she was speaking to slides where she was just talking about nutrition that I've seen the exact presentation before. And actually, it's all information that's on the web anyway. But on the web and, you know, runners' world articles, and it, it, it wasn't really anything that was new or that useful. But it's like, right, I'm going to now read this slide presentation. Oh. Um, well, yeah, but, I mean, it's true. And, and then it overran, and it meant that Ali 
and he didn't get any questions at the end. And actually, I think of all of the presentations, that was the one that you wanted to have, give people the opportunity to, because it's, you know, obviously someone like Paul is going to get thousands of questions because people want to connect with her. Yeah. And also there's so much you want to learn about her. But Ali's topic was to do with, was, was really looking, changing how people perceive running and mental health. And even if there's only three people in the audience that that really connected with, and, and there were way more than that, there's a, there's a really high chance that someone's going to actually ask a very important question relating to their mental health or someone else's mental health. And it, they didn't have the chance to, to, to have that, sadly, because, um, you know, time pressures and, and whatnot. Uh, so that was, I mean, that was a bit frustrating. And I, know, I think Ali felt a bit annoyed by that. But I mean, she did so well. Um, and it was so good. But yeah, it was... I just love presenting and we need to get you up there next, next year doing one as well. It's just great fun. And that's the thing, I, that's what I, I don't think they have enough of in, in when you go to conferences or you go to exhibitions is they choose people solely for the story yeah. or solely for the name, whereas they don't actually choose people as who is going to be good at presenting. Yeah. Who's going to, who's going to be gonna... delivering something that the audience will, will find useful and, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, I thought there were some, some really good speakers there, actually. Um, we knew most of them, thankfully, because uh, we've had them on the podcast or are having them on. But uh, what, was there anything you'd change about the conference, the, the setup there? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure, actually. I wish they had more uh, places open to eat. Mmm completely but I think I oh, the, the amount of people that we got on our stand though with the with the sports beer that was just inspired like people <laughs> the thing is we, the, the, right so if you didn't come this essentially was what happened so if you came to our stand we'd all be standing around and stuff like that and and then uh, Duncan and uh, Julius would be doing this what they call um, PB or DNF and what you'd have to do is you'd be you'd stand behind a line and you have to throw a, uh, a ping pong ball into one of like nine cups. And if it goes into a cup, it's either a PB or DNF based on what's in it. And if it's a PB, you get a shot of um, uh, what's it called? Sports beer. And if you've, got a, if you've got a DNF, you commiserated with a glass of sports beer. And I don't know why, but for some reason, even though it was a game you could not lose... People just wanted to play it. It was it was utterly bizarre. People were getting competitive yeah. with each other. You're like, but there's no winning element. You add some type of gamification in it, gamification in it, and um, it, it's incredible the way that people react to it. And it, it was it, yeah. it came to points where the people were queuing to play this thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was insane. I think it could have been even just a card, like a single card or a coin with two heads. Where if you win nothing by getting ahead, people would still be like, "Oh, I want to see, I want to see if I get the head. I've got the head. Yeah, I, okay, I didn't get anything, but oh man, that was brilliant. That was brilliant." There were people who no didn't drink. Was... People who didn't drink coming and playing the game. It was just, it was insane. <laughs> I did feel a bit guilty. I had children there who'd, who'd spend half an hour trying to do it. They'd eventually do it, and they'd be like, "Right, you're not allowed the beer, all the caffeine bullets, um, but give." 
give this to your dad to have. And they'd be like, oh, great, nothing. Oh. Right. Well, well, yeah, a couple of moments there when you go, those children who were clearly under 18, playing there, you're like, it's all right to give it to them, isn't it, David? No, no, David, it's not all right to give it to them. <laughs> what? Well, I mean, it's barely alcohol. It's such a small shot of beer. They were 12. So, um, no. Yeah, <laughs> I was using a 12. It's fine. Yeah, exactly, that's it. Put hairs on the chest and all of that. It was great. It was great right at the end because when we were when we were packing up and stuff, that like, one of the funniest things is um, when we had still had like uh, about a, I think it was a, a quarter of the beer left, and so we needed to get rid of it. And so Dunk started having fake loud conversations with himself, going, "What was that you say? Apparently, there's a rumor that uh, they're giving away beer on the bad boy running stand. <laughs> no way! <laughs> Just having these conversations with himself. People were coming over. It was it was hilarious." I didn't realise how funny Duncan was. He was amazing, actually. In fact, everyone was so good on the stand. Um, they were. They really were. Everyone, everyone just like properly like stepped up and was selling stuff, like and you know talking to people and like the, the, you know the, the the cult indoctrination has worked so perfectly. I didn't even realise. <laughs> it's quite interesting actually to see there are other virtual running groups as well. Oh God, there were loads. I, oh no, no. Yeah. I, I was about to say there are there are other virtual running groups, but weren't there? There were a load of virtual runs actually mm. at that thing it's much more you i go up to something because that one that was like a run around europe and you're like mm. oh my god that looks an insanely good race i'd love to do that run around europe you're like it's virtual you're like what no no just do the actual I, run yeah well, the, the thing is though you do a virtual run and it's all profit you just got to pay for a medal so they've got loads of money and they don't even have to be that big to be successful because they don't have to close roads, they don't have to get permissions. It's everything about running, uh, the, all the logistics of running for a race director taken out of it other than getting a medal and sending it to someone. But why would anyone want to do it? I don't understand. Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I understand it if you're a kid or... Maybe we should do it. Maybe we should actually, do you know what, I keep saying I don't understand what it, Maybe we should do a virtual run and see what they... It's like I'll do the equivalent of... Runners World did when they did the cheating at Park Run. Get to feel what it feels like as a virtual runner. Yeah, I think you should sign up to someone else's just to see what happens. Um, I mean, maybe we should. Should we get someone on to talk about virtual running? Um, it might only be a ten-minute conversation. Actually. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know how what's it like organising? Wow, well, just a web page really and a payment gateway. Um, I don't know what yeah. there is to say. I don't. But, but obviously, they're popular. I mean, I, I do get it if you're someone who lives in an area where there aren't many runs. And so if you are having to... Yeah, like the Highlands or something like that, yeah. Yeah, you live in the Falkland Islands and you suddenly like, right, I can do a, a half marathon where it's not just me doing it by myself. And I, I do get that. Um, I think it'd be nice if there's a community around those. I haven't got a sense of what percentage of people who do actual running is that. I, I think a lot of the moment is people are obsessed with medals that look just unique yeah and so you put a medal that no one else is going to get and it, it there is bling um bling vanity there's bling jealousy so i think that's probably a lot of the marketing is you'll do a star wars one or you'll do a um, only fools and horses one or you're trying to come up with anything that has got a lot of fans and then suddenly everyone wants to do a virtual run just for that I imagine they're not particularly strict at enforcing the rules either. But um, maybe we should do better. If you know someone who 
who's involved in virtual running who is funny or who's controversial or who has just got a different viewpoint on it, let us know because um, it would be interesting to actually understand it properly and the phenomenon and what the real driver of it is because um, maybe so we're missing were, out. Yeah, there were, there were a lot there. Mm, yeah, absolutely. But um, should we go from the easiest of runs, virtual running, to the hardest of runs, double Bob Graham? <laughs> That's a segue. That's great. That's a really good segue. <laughs> Absolutely. We, um, we, we said we were going to get Nikki on a, a while back. And uh, as usual, I had technical difficulties, but she was so gracious to, uh, to come and do a full interview again. So, Nick, please take it away. Actually, before we go in, Nick, I'm not sure if we properly explained what the, the Bob Graham round was, or in fact, what the different rounds were. So, do ballads, I'm typing as I say this, just to make sure I get it all round, all correct. We do go into details of Nikki about what the Bob Graham round is, what the Ramsey round is, what the, oh, what's the one in Wales that sounds Irish? Paddy round. The Paddy round, that's right, the Paddy Buckley. But I can't remember from the interview if we go into the exact details of each one. No, we don't. You know, yes, yeah, so the, the Bob Graham round, we've talked about it before with uh, James Appleton, really, really interesting. It's the most historic, it's, it's probably the most famous round of sorts in the UK. The idea is that you've got to run, uh, you've got 24 hours to run 42 of the highest peaks in the Lake District within 24 hours. So that's 66 miles, it's about 9,000 meters of ascent, which is about Everest. And uh, it's been going for what, about 90 years now. Yeah. They've then created equivalents in Wales and in Scotland. So um, the, the Pat Buckley is um, the one in Wales, for some reason sounds Irish, and, they've got, and it's very similar in terms of the all 24 hours, but in terms of the peaks, the miles, um, although the terrain, as you'll find out, is quite different. And the one in Scotland is... Ramsey remember, round. Ramsey round. The Ramsey round, yeah, absolutely. So in case we don't go into enough detail with Nikki, or it's not apparent from the beginning, because we did discuss it at some point, but it might make sense now for you to know in advance so that when we start to discuss it, you actually are clear about what we're going into. So uh, hopefully that's helped. Back on with the show. So, do Ballers, we always ask you who you'd like us to get on, and Nikki's name has been mentioned quite a few times. Not only does she hold the double record for the Bob Graham round and the Ramsey round, she's got records in, in un, an insane number of races. So we wanted to get her on to talk about that and just really to talk about what it's like to be racing these things over 24 hours. And um, the new generation coming through, Killian suddenly smashing the record of the, the Bob Graham. You've got Jasmine, obviously, setting fire to some trails. So we wanted to really understand what she thinks uh, the future of, of that type of running is. So come, uh, welcome to the podcast, Nikki Smith. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, good. Very good. Got a bit of a cold, so I hope that doesn't affect everything. We sound perfect, so hopefully oh, thank not. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, should we should we take it back to the beginning then? Because... I've I've always associated you with these big big um, challenges, so not, not even races, but you know the almost 
completing them as the whole mission in a 48 hour on the doubles. But did you always start off as a, an endurance ultra runner or, or did you transition? No, I started off, I think as most people do with a, a four mile, in my case, it was a fell race. Although I had done a 10 K before that, but on the, um, fells, it was just a four mile fell race. And then I went from there to a 20 mile fell race. Well, not, straight away but nearly within the same year yeah um and then thought in the 20 mile fell race i set off a a slower speed than i would at the four mile fell race and i just kept going and halfway through the uh, and i set off right at the back Mm. and halfway through the fell race i just started catching people up but i didn't feel i didn't feel under any sort of pressure it was quite easy to just keep running at the same pace and then so when I got to the end, I obviously felt really good and I was um, reasonably high up the field, mid midfield anyway. I'd passed, mm. you know, half of the people in the in the race. So then I sort of, I, I, I just enjoyed that. It was more about looking after yourself. You know, you saw people struggling because they hadn't eaten anything. Um, and it was, a, you had to navigate in that race. So, yeah, keeping your, your head in the right gear and... Um, keeping your eye on the map and everything was, was key to where I came. Did you instinctively know how to do all these things, how to look after yourself, how to navigate, um, how to pace? Or have you got a background that was also hiking and orienteering, you know, navigating just in, around the farms and stuff that, that meant that you were good? Um, no, I wasn't good at navigating. I learned how to do that. I asked some um, club mates to set me up a little sort of course to put some points out. Well, they didn't put <laughs> points, but fine. So I had to go and find things, tin sheds and st- little stones and uh, fence corners and things. And I spent an afternoon doing that. And I thought, I think I got properly lost. Um, hmm. I wasn't properly lost, if you see what I mean. But to my, in my mind, I was properly lost. So I ran around like a ch- headless chicken for a bit spotted yeah. this walker ran over to him said where am i on the map and he didn't know because he he just always did out and back so he was lovely he knew how to get himself back to the car but on a map he didn't actually know where to point to me and say where i was so yeah then i ran around a bit more found something that i sort of thought actually that's a stream junction where could i be and i think that once i'd found myself again i think that was quite an important learning thing that Yes, I got lost, but I found myself. I then, you know, got myself back onto the route that I was supposed to be on. And, and, and that to me was like, that was really important to actually think once you can get yourself out of this mess, you've got the confidence to, to go and do it. Whereas a lot of people don't actually, they, they won't step out of their sort of comfort zone and go anywhere where they might get lost. Um, it's not that bad getting lost. <laughs> Well, I think for a lot of people, a lot of races, there's never the need to, to self-navigate. They're, for most people, running races are just that. And navi- navigating is the realm of orienteering, where obviously fell racing is completely different, where you can choose your own route, really, can choose your own path. And that makes a huge difference for your speed and actually the easiest um, easiest route to take so just for anyone who doesn't really understand what fell running is uh, we do have quite a few non-british listeners how would you best describe it um well it's running in the 
fells. I was going to say mountains, but it doesn't have to be that mountainous. Like the Peak District, the highest mountain is 560 metres or something. Mm. But it's basically going off the paths a lot. We use paths, but we can also just crisscross across off um, off the moorland or in the Lake District, it would be quite rocky terrain. So I think that's what fell running is. It's basically going wherever you like on the fells. And actually, to, to give some context to it, I did my first ever fell race on Sunday in the Peak District. And I've done quite a lot of things like the OM, um, Original Mountain Marathon. I've done orienteering. I've been up to the lakes and the peaks and done numerous races there. And it was so much harder than anything. <laughs> I was, it was only, it was less than 10 miles. It was called the, the Tigger's, Tigger something. And I, I, yeah. say again. The Tigger Tour. Oh, did you know it? Yeah, I know the race. Yeah, I didn't do it, but. Uh, I was hoping you were going to say it was a kids' race. Then. <laughs> and I haven't looked at the results, so I couldn't compare you with anybody that I know either. So you, you're off the hook there. I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd spend a long time looking down. It, <laughs> I think I came in about I don't know fortieth or something. But um, I was expecting a race like that based on previous trail runs mountain speed but 10 miles current condition i do it in an average of seven to seven and a half minute miles i think i managed nine minute miles going absolutely flat out which it just blows my mind that that was as fast as i could do it you know even the comrades which was 56 miles four thousand meters of up and down that was seven minutes 20 or something uh, average and so it's it's just so unbelievably hard running compared to to what you'd expect isn't it yeah it is and there isn't any point trying to do a pace per mile or anything um we average it out so for the bob graham you sort of think about it's about three and a half miles an hour which like you say is really 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 slow but you've got to keep going at that for 24 hours so and and when you're when you approach a fell race, does it tend to be that most people know where they're going, or they know the big checkpoints, or they know the approximate routes, or are people very much making it up on the fly? Um, probably a combination of everything. At least twenty twenty five percent of the people will have done the race before, or they'll know exactly where they're going. Um, 25, maybe like me, I might have done it before, but I can't really remember because I don't come from the Lake District. I'm not there all the time. So I'm sort of mapping and and knowing where I'm going and seeing if there's anyone that knows a better line than what I do. And then, yeah, 25 complete beginners there on their maps. And then you do get like 25% that just think I'll follow somebody. Um, because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it they just set off and basically is that a good strategy is that a good strategy um depending on who you follow <laughs> i mean are there always people you're like i trust this one let's follow them they always end up with a whole tail of runners behind them oh yeah especially like the fell running i was going to say legends like well like like i'm known for knowing where i'm going so yeah. I do tend so if i stop to get my map out about five people behind me will just stop <laughs> they tie the shoelaces or just look at me really you know? 
Uh, um, yeah, Wendy Dodds is another one. There's a few of us that are well known for having a crowd of people around. And some people thank you and, you know, often you get thanked at the end. Oh, thanks for getting us off Crinkle. Crinkle Crags is a classic one in the late. Crinkle Crags. What a Crinkle name. Crags. What's Crinkle Crags? Sounds well, delightful. It's just this spurious group of rocks that are in an, an open moorland. So finding them and finding your way off them is often quite hard. So, yeah, people go walkabouts around there yeah, and then quite... drop off into completely the wrong valley from there as well it's quite um yeah, if you go wrong you, you'll be a long way wrong <clears throat> is there uh, almost a set of rules of of what's acceptable for following or not following someone because I, I can imagine you could have a you know a very fast road runner just follow someone who's who knows exactly what they're doing and then take off in the last hundred meters like w- would that be allowed in, in the general you know unspoken rules or it would sort of be frowned upon but there are also if you were that high up i think the 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 winner or the guy that knew where he was going would do things like to get rid of the other person like <laughs> put, a, put a spurt in where he knew he was going to you know, take a right or something. So he'd put a spurt in and then quickly take a right to lose them, especially if it was claggy. If it, so it's if almost it was, the, the idea of um, a quick sprint and duck behind a rock. Yeah. Are you shoelace or... In Dark Peak, we actually have a term for it called wurzeling, which is there used to be a guy called Chris Wurzel and he used to do it a lot. <laughs> is he aware that he's now... Oh yes, thing. yeah. No, he, his name Wurzeling became yes was was named after him, and he was quite proud of the fact that yeah people did that. And has anyone been in, the, in a situation where they've ended up Wurzeling the Wurzel? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's an amazing. I'd love to see you Wurzel when you're pacing at London Marathon, David. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. What are you guys all doing behind me? There's hundreds of you. Straight down the road, fellas. You can't get lost. <laughs> and so, um, after that twenty-mile race, then was um, you mentioned that you it really suited you? Do, do you think it was the fact that you'd done well, or was it the the enjoyment of that distance that really drove you to to seek further? Um, sort of a combination, but I think it was the enjoyment. Really, the fact that I was going up the second hill and it wasn't any harder was going up the first hill and there were three big hills so obviously the last hill felt harder but it was that that realization that if you look after yourself you can keep going for a lot longer than what you imagine that you can because and how much training did you done for that 20 mile fell race because in my head a 20 mile fell race is probably the equivalent of what, a 32 mile trail race Maybe. I think I did about four and a half hours. So, yeah, in in time, yeah, that would be. And maybe the winner would do, say, three, three fifteen. OK. And, and would you had you done a lot of long distance training and preparation or was, was the fact that you're on a farm useful for your your physical strength as well? For that first one, I've done quite a lot of training on the hills but my probably my longest run was maybe 15 or 17 miles yeah I hadn't been for a 20 mile sort of run to see if I could run 20 miles I was using that old philosophy that if you can 
like for marathon training, you, you, mm. your longest run tends to be twenty twenty two, not twenty six, because um, yeah, you're going to get there. When, yeah. the so when you say training on the hills, what what exactly does that look like in terms of in terms of training for for fell races? What what kind of hill training do you do for that? Going out on the hills for a day or so. Well, yeah. not yeah. <laughs> a day. Wow, <laughs> a day or so. That means a day plus, <laughs> a week or two. <laughs> but I just is that is that is that it? It's just literally just just as getting as much as much time on your feet uh, in that yeah. environment as possible. There's no there's nothing particularly what's structured about it. It's just a case of trying to get as much elevation and as, as you can. Yeah, and distance and keeping the pace going even when you're walking because the trouble right. with walking is you tend to sort of slow to a, quite a slow walk mm. and then you tend to stop a little bit but the whole point i mean a lot of people walk in fell races we, we don't run the whole run we walk up a lot of the hills so but you need to be able to walk quite fast yeah up hills um, and eat while you're walking and yeah, utilise that walking time in maybe looking at your map for the next bit where you're going to run or sorting your rucksack out. or And you learn all that on with these long days on the hill, really. So rather than turning into a rambler and eating your sandwiches on the top. <laughs> <laughs> and is that a learnt technique, do you think? Speed walking, kind of speed hiking up? Or is it... Yeah. Is it something that comes natural to people or do you actually have to think about actively what you're doing no you have to sort of think about that and find a good technique for you whether it's sort of stood up upright or down and you're seeing a lot of fell races we push our hands down on our knees but then mm. obviously you you're stripping all your lungs so as you bent over eventually you start feeling a bit out of breath so then you have to stand up a bit so but you can see different styles of walking and if you watch a fell race, if you watch the sort of when they're all going up a steep hill, you're almost doing a, a nodding forward and back yes. with the, the <laughs> and, and, the it, leg. and at the top, at the top, they're still running it. Um, yeah, the top fell runners will be still running. So, at what point did you then? Um, when when did you first kind of taste success and taste um, those really long distances and, and realise this is for me? Probably the same fell race, but a couple of years later when I won it, um, because I'd looked at doing speed. So I was doing speed training, and I was sort of doing more structured training, and I was improving. And then I, I won it. Um, so yeah, and then I thought actually I could be, you know, this is. It was only a local fell race, so I wasn't saying the competition wasn't great. You know, if I go up against the English fell runners then I'm not quite as high up the rankings but I think it was then really um then I started to that was probably about 2003 or four and and was the big difference just practice or were you had you joined a club and you, you had a really intense training program or just experiences growing or uh I joined Penistone footpath runners and um yeah, I started doing sort of structured speed work and they do actually hill work as well. You no, know, just reps of up and down a hill and a long run every week. So sort of 10 miles once a week. Um, and I think that that's what yeah benefited me a lot. 
So even then, actually, like a 10-mile is your long run. Um, I, I guess it's probably a bit longer given that you're doing it on hills, but for for the race distance, it's not a substantial amount, really, is it? You know, an hour and a half or so out on the hills. Um, and uh, and so when did you hear first hear about the Bob Graham rounds? Well, there was a guy, Andy Plummer, in Penniston Footpath Runners who was attempting it in 2005, and he'd attempted it before. So while I was at the club, I just heard people talking to him about it. And when, and then I was asking questions about it. And when he said what it was, I just thought it was probably the biggest thing I'd ever do in my life. That's what I wanted to do. So. Well, just for the listeners at home, we, we've um, gone into quite a lot of detail of the Bob Graham rounds with uh, interview of James Apperton, who's also um, based up in Keswick. But uh, how would you describe it? As a, as a challenge um, well it is it's a 24 hour challenge so you've got 24 hours to finish it it's 66 miles I think and um, 42 peaks in the Lake District it's a circuit of the Lake District peaks and what kind of elevation total would those 42 peaks take in it's 27,000 feet whatever the, that is in basically peak. the height of Everest yeah right. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, and when you when you trained for your first one and took on your first one, how how did that go? It was yeah, the training was good. I didn't um, overdo it. I did a few more long fell races. I did the high peak marathon, which was forty two miles, um, and I went to the Lake District and wrecked all the legs. Just, also, not only to recce them to see where I was going, but to mm. feel if that's what I wanted to do, if it was the sort of place that I wanted to be. You're only doing it to tick something off it all because your mate's done it. Mm. You're not going to put the effort in when it gets really hard to, to finish it. <clears throat> and do you think it is essential to know the whole route before attempting it? I'd like people to yes um this idea of just ticking it off and being led round is is not really in the ethos of the round you know mm, yeah i i, I guess so. I, I i have heard of some people who've run with friends and that's always appealed to me because i'm very lazy <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah um I, I I can understand it. it. It would be against the ethos, really, and it's almost. I guess that's Bob Graham tourism rather than yeah. Bob Graham attempt. So, did you did you uh, complete under twenty four hours in the first attempt? Oh, um, yes, yeah. I had a a rough patch about four in the morning, but um, no, I finished in twenty three and a half hours, feeling quite st- after the rough patch. I felt fine and finished at about half six that night. So. And when you say rough patch, what was that? Um, I think it's just your body coming round to the fact that it's getting daylight and you haven't slept. So it's just asking a few questions and complaining a little bit. And your stomach does the same thing. Oh, so it was still, it was actually in the daylight. Because I, 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 in my head, I always thought the kind of four in the morning would be the hardest. And then daylight is when your spirits rise because suddenly you've got a bit more energy. It seems like... Um, but it was it was actually in. Yeah, it in the was morning. four o'clock in the morning. But I think these bad patches can come at any point. I've had them, uh, say eleven o'clock at night. You know where you haven't you haven't gone into a night at all. 
it's just some uh, it's just the balance in your body's all wrong at that moment you've maybe not eaten for a couple of hours or something and you're having an energy dip really mm. or it's your head telling you like when are you going to sleep or um and yeah. how how did you structure the the support and your food and because i know it's it's common to have a run with you the whole time you'll often go up and then down have a support car had you organized that yourself was that through the local club and, and how often would you actually get back to base um the local club organized that then that was dark peak peniston sort of joined up with dark peak to do the attempt and um the longest leg's about five and a half hours before you get to a road crossing. So between three and five and a half hours. So there's uh, one, two, four road crossings. And were you relying on um, the standards, gels, things like that, while you're up there, and then food back down, or were you trying to keep everything real food? I do a combination of of both and I was I started doing that yeah right with the first Bob Graham that I did and it's it's always sort of worked I don't I don't think my stomach would cope with gels for more than say three hours Mm. just just gels um it's not there's not enough sort of substance there for your stomach to be happy with so I do a combination so how with that 23 and a half hours how did you then progress to deciding that two a double would be possible as well. <laughs> well, quite in 10 years, I think, because I did my first BG in 2005 and the double in two, 2016. Yeah, so it took 10 years. I went, I did the Welsh equivalent, the Paddy Buckley. Um, I did the Scottish equivalent. I then I went and did the records for all three. I've done the Ladies Lake District 24-hour round, which is an extended Bob Graham. Um, so yeah, in that time I was building up experience and doing a hundred, a couple of hundred mile races. But when I went into the double BG, the longest I'd been on my feet was 37 hours. Mm. So it was a big step up for me to have to do, well, 48 at best and maybe more. And, and do you think that the key was to increase your speed in as a runner to allow for to, to allow for that extra time for the double or was it more to do with how you prepared um your body and manage yourself over the route um yeah because i actually thought i was slowing down not speeding up because i've been doing the records i was trying mm. to run fast all the time and so i thought with a bg um it would be easier obviously if i slowed down um I suppose I kept my training the same mm. and my racing was the same. So I kept my same speed, but I didn't actually try and speed up at all. So, and then it was really, it was about, yeah, management. I knew that management was going to be a lot more important. Um, and and what, what changes on the second lap, would you say, that is unexpected or that you really need to prepare for? It's sleep, really. It's just how, how that affects you or... How it feel, how it affects you at that particular time, because it's not going to do the same thing every time. Uh, I was completely, I was different on the double Ramsey than I was on the BG. On the BG, it sort of hit me, hit me once. I felt really rotten, like I needed to lie down. Um, I had ten minutes. I lay down. I went straight to sleep. 
I had 10 minutes and I felt great. On the Ramsey, I felt uh, slightly rubbish. So I thought, I don't know, I'll try and get a power nap, lay down. I lay down twice, nothing happened. Just lay there, getting frustrated, got back up again. And then, <laughs> and then and once I'd done that on the Ramsey, I went through three nights without sleep and I still couldn't, I couldn't get to sleep on Monday morning when I was trying to get to sleep. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So you ended up having, wow. Um, so you've I done the whole... Friday, Saturday, Sunday, no sleep whatsoever until about lunchtime on Monday. And even then it was very catnappy sleep. It wasn't like usually I just go straight out for sort of four hours, but no, it wasn't like that. Wow. It was like my brain had actually gone the other way and thought it's never going to get sleep ever again. <laughs> yeah, that's really weird. It's almost maybe you wanted it too much that... Yeah, uh, you're kind of fighting it, but um, and so on the when you attempted the second Bob Graham, um, uh, when when did you come through the first one? What what time buffer did you have? Oh well, I didn't do two complete rounds. I did two thirds of a round and turned round, did two thirds back, and then went out and did a third to the same point that I turned round and went back um, and why was that it was really to do with not wanting to be on Scarfell in the dark mm. and also logistics with supporters um so yeah the the easier ground was on the second third if you know what i mean oh, okay <clears throat> so it was it was if i'd done two complete rounds i would have ended up because the way that Roger Bannister did it was he, um, I thought I had to do a, a, a clockwise and an anti-clockwise just because that's what Rod, uh, Roger Bowmeister had done. Mm. So um, so that the timings for that would have put me on Scarfell in the dark and that was pretty, uh, yeah, you just don't want to be there. You're just going to be, even if you're feeling quite good, you're going to be so slow on the rocks in the dark. So. Oh, so is that the main? Because I I remember there's a lot of sc- scrambling on some some routes up, but is it the fact that it's so uneven across the top? Yeah, the whole the whole sort of section from the top of you climb out of Wasdale, the sort of right through to the Langdale. So it's it's probably about eight peaks that are quite rocky, and mm. all the paths in between are quite rocky um, and quite hard to navigate. Whereas Doing it the way I did it, you ended up on Helvellyn in the dark both times, which is a, a fairly a long ridge. You, you sort of dart off to your peaks. Um, you go up and down a bit, but basically the ground's quite short grass and easy to run on. And did it make it harder um, psychologically, knowing after the two-thirds that you're, you're essentially back at the finish and then you've still got this extra third to, to go out for? And you, by then, I guess you've run further than you've ever run longer than you've ever run um was yeah. that tempting um i knew that was going to be hard that was about the 30 hours mark um it was harder than what i thought it was going to be i had steeled myself and i'd got my support i'd got charmin to actually park a mile past the moot hall so <laughs> i couldn't actually stop at the stop physically i couldn't um <laughs> which helped <laughs> but I still I started crying when I went past the Moot Hall because oh. I, I did feel so bad I just wanted to stop but I hadn't achieved anything which was almost why I'd done it that way 
because I thought, well, you, you've got to keep going. You've not, what have you done? You've done, you don't get a certificate. <laughs> I guess you haven't even done one pop Graham round, no, have you? Yeah, so. hours, but. <laughs> and um, how much did you, were you always on track for that 48 hours or were there times in which it, you really suddenly dipped behind? Um, no, I was always on track with the BG because um, even when I started slowing, I wasn't slowing enough to lose the time. Mm. Um, and um, now with, um, I know the pop game, it's, it's obviously got a lot of press recently because Killian, Killian's gone there, absolutely smashed the record on, from what I've been told from some of the locals was probably the, the easiest route it's ever been um so dry everything you can see all the trails things like that do you, do you think the, the bob graham's fundamentally changed as a challenge from when you first ran it to now i think well there are definitely a lot more paths and there's just a lot more information out there so a lot of people know the route they know all the shortcuts um supporters know the route it's quite yeah i should imagine if, what like when Billy Bland did it, he wouldn't have been able to find the calibre of support that what Killian could have done. There wouldn't have been that many fast runners around at that time. Um, and just, yeah, I think, so it's everything. Um, that and, has you, and then clothes and shoes and food has all improved as well. And do you think in a way it's, I mean, there are too many people trying it now and is the route almost too ingrained because there's so many people going over those paths? Um, there are a lot of people trying it and uh, yeah, the success rate isn't, is still only about 50, 60%. So a lot of the people trying it probably aren't that well prepared, mm. uh, which is sort of a shame. You'd want to see less people doing it, but more well prepared people doing it really. Um, yeah, I think there'll always be that balance because if everyone is being successful, then it, it, others will be encouraged to do it, won't they? Cause yeah, I think that's true, yeah. The failure rate, I think, if anything, hopefully forces some people to reevaluate and adjust. Um, and, and do you think the navigation issues are as, as, as hard now? Um, once you're on the mountain yourself, does the can you really tell where to go almost instinctively now because of the trails or is it still actually having to know the area? Uh, yeah, no, you have to know the parts on the BG that aren't um, paths. Um, uh, high rays hasn't got, hasn't got um, paths all over it. It's sort of all tussocks and grass and things. People must just spread out all over the place and you still need your compass to get yourself up to, because you can't actually see the, the summit when you're actually walking up it. Ah, uh, okay. So um, on to the Ramsey round then, which <laughs> is, well, how, how does that compare to the Bob Graham? Um, well, it took me a long time to sort of come to terms with the fact that I didn't do the under 48 hours. It, uh, yeah, my supporters were all, everybody else was really happy and I was like, well, actually, I didn't do it. <laughs> 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 but... <laughs> Then I did the first one and it's given me, you know, it's the benchmark. So, um, and I, I've now put a ceiling on my, because I always used to say I, I did the first paddy I ever did in rain. 
mm. and that was horrendous. So then I put right, I'm not I'm not attempting stuff in rain anymore. It's not worth it. And now. 20 22 degrees is too hot for me i need to <laughs> you know, i know it, it, i mean killian did it he he loved he loves those temperatures but i mm. oh just and all my support with bull crashing and burning as well so yeah it was a sort of a lesson in what is i found out what is too hot for me but um so yeah i suppose apart from the heat the first day went okay i mean i I was focused and I, I was still, I was coping with the heat quite well. Mm. Uh, yeah. I never actually felt that horrible. I'm too hot feeling and eating and everything was, was good. There were some horrible flies called the locals called them clegs. They're like horse flies, oh. but, and they could bite through anything. And you, if, if you stopped, you just basically mm. got bitten by these things um, Which is that, possibly a good thing. I mean, in terms of motivation. Yeah. <laughs> Although, and, and again, but everybody was getting bitten, and my, my poor dog was getting bitten, and it meant everyone was in the vehicles or mm. hiding from these things. Um, I, I did actually try and think what was worse, midges or clex. And do you, yeah. do you think, because, I mean, the 48 hours is quite an arbitrary target. And for the Bob Graham rounds, it does make sense if you look at the top speeds around there. And But yeah. it, it's an arbitrary number, really, when you suddenly take it to a completely different course. I mean, would you? is it a harder course in general? Oh, yeah, it's much harder than the BG because there's only really three legs. Your mm. support have got to stay out for sort of seven hours instead of four five hours um one of the legs even still they have to walk in for four hours to get there so there is only really one road crossing um so you're just basically on your own a lot more there is no chopping and changing you know you i only had like one spare pair of shoes brought in for me and you know i had to keep everything and everybody has to keep everything minimalist Mm. um and so again, you're going you're going out with a lot more weight on you. Yeah, my supporters were going out with more weight, and I was yeah I carried more myself because well it's fair. Um, and think, in terms in terms of the food, then does that also have a knock on effect on your options and actually what you can have prepared for you? Yeah, definitely. Because on the BG, Charmaine. Pro- prepared a sort of really big selection where she, I only saw her once or twice on the Ramsey and the other time um, I did have like freeze-dried food made up and that actually worked really well I've used that before it's all a bit messy but um, it means you can have your meal and it was like apple and custard um, mm. and then you could just bring it take it with you and some noodles and they work well as well I, I just, I'm, I'm quite strict with myself now. There's none of this. So you've got a choice. You haven't got a choice. So you've got to eat what you've given, really. I suppose, yeah, going back to my childhood. <laughs> so we, is it often a case that you don't feel like eating then and you have uh, to physically? Yeah. Especially when it's hot, it's quite hard to eat. I went, mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, I usually use the fruit salad, the rice puddings and the beans. I went, I didn't want the beans at all. I ate all my fruit salads and then ended up on my rice puddings. <laughs> <laughs> and what's well, the actual, like, 
Yeah, what, what's the actual route like, route like then? How do the mountains and the hills compare? How does the, the navigation compare? How does the trail compare? Um, well, there are two sections that are on a ridge that do have a path along them, but there's a big section at the far end where there is there aren't any paths. There might be sort of the paths that the Munro baggers use, mm. but they come from a different direction. So you tend to only hit those paths halfway up. But there's the 24 Munros, so the climbs are just much bigger. You know, Ben Nevis takes you sort of an hour and a half to get up. Um, whereas in the on the Bob Graham, the biggest climb is the U-Barrow, or Skidor is probably the longest climb, but it's not actually the highest but it's just mm. the track wide but it's such a good path the difference and a lot of the time on the Ramsey you're just actually bashing through Heather um, mm. and yeah so do you think it is substantially harder then than, than a Bob Graham because of those yeah if you if you get your light if, well you're bashing down these big mountains and if you turn off too soon off the sort of ridge that you're going down to get to the mm. valley you can end up in some really horrible rocks um so you, you had to sort of not only navigate but having wrecked it um, know your way around the rocks and the best ways up and also for water because we were picking up water on the route as well because yeah we needed to because there isn't water brought in for you mm. And is, are there, is there as much knowledge around the Ramsey when you try to put together your team to take no. take it on? <clears throat> I mean, there's a few, quite a lot of Lockaba, Lockaba um, runners know it well. Um, but also that was the other thing. Coming from Yorkshire, I had to get all my support to come from mm. Yorkshire. And, and also doing it again from the midnight on Friday. Most people had to take either, a, I tried to work it so they either took a Friday or a Monday off, not you know, it's a lot to ask your support to take two mm. days holiday off work for you. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and, and do you think you've got it in you, or do you think it, it's, it's possible to do a sub 48 then? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I wouldn't have set off if I didn't think it was, but um, and my legs were fine, and I actually recovered quicker than I did from the BG because I got so hot, I had to slow down. I was going so slowly that I didn't actually trash my legs. Mm. How frustrating! Yes, <laughs> and this actually took long. I got, I did get some. I should have. I needed a, a bigger size shoe in the end, and I didn't have one. So I, the last, um, sort of eight hours. Yeah, I was on blisters, which were painful. But and in in preparation for these these two forty eight hour, hour attempts. Do you dramatically change the training that you're doing for the the single, or is it just pay, more pace management on the day? I try and put in more back to back days um, for the double, but then no, it is just pace management on the day and looking after yourself on the day. Um, Which is good, I guess, in a way, because it means you're it's not as hard as, as long a build up to attempt it next time as well. Yeah. And so then onto the paddy, how would you can, which always confuses me that that's the Welsh one, the Welsh equivalent of the Bob Graham. <laughs> Cause that's uh, the name of paddy, but uh, how would you compare that to the other two? Um, 
it's got a lot more although scotland's rocky it's got a lot of heather heather in it mm. wales does seem to be quite sort of gnarly rocky yeah um, so the and they're lethal when they're wet as well they're just it's that sort of slippery slate stuff mm. that um it's quite bad when it's dry but when they're wet, you you don't know where to put your feet. It's all it's all lethal, um, and I think then you get the route. So navigation, um, you have to know like Triffin, especially. Say you you're just going off there and you're looking for worn rock, and if you get off because that's the path where, where it looks like people have been. If you get off that, you're onto slippery rock and loose rock. Um, so navigation, it's quite tricky like that you have to really know the route rather than navigate it because you're navigating in straight lines. You'd be off all over the slippery loose rock. And does that also then affect, I guess, tiredness comes into it because it becomes a lot more dangerous if you're not concentrating when you've got rocks like that around. Yeah, it comes. And then on the paddy, there's also a very long section called the boundary ridge, which is a seven hour leg. And it's just quite fiddly. It's um, there's not so much climb in it. Maybe two thousand meters in the whole twenty miles, but you just up and down, up and down. It's very easy to just start walking, not pick your feet up, lose track of which hill you've got to go up next, and things. Um, there's no real easy section on the on the paddy. It's not mm. got some sort of logical easy section. Having hiked most of that, air, like a lot of that area and stuff, just the idea of like of, of, of running in it is just like you talk about Triffin there. Just the idea of running in that just seems so. And when wet, I mean, like if you if you're saying that you know you you don't want to run when it's raining in Wales, then there literally must be like a three day window in which in which to do it. But just the just the. It, 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 yeah, definitely Wales compared with with with, with Scotland and and like the Lake District. It's just that seems the hardest part of it to me, the whole, just, just the terrain and, and how, how difficult it must be in order to um, just, just, nav- just with your feet, just navigate through that without, without slipping. It just, it, it's just seems so, so much more of a, a, a challenge compared with the, with the, with the other two uh, races, the other two routes. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Once you've been, it's hard to explain, but once you've been to Wales and had to pick your feet up off over all those hard, <laughs> yeah. just out there to get your ankles. It's funny because my my father-in-law go, always says about like where he goes. Oh, it's just stunning. It's so you're just rugged and stuff like that. And I'm I'm looking at it from a walking and like running perspective. I'm like, it's horrible. I hate everything about it. I love it. It's almost like the Lake District is almost like rolling hills compared to it. <laughs> So would you say that's kind of the least pleasant one to do then in general? I don't know. No, I love Wales. I think oh, not, not the country, but just, just yeah, that specific no, I, route. <laughs> I, I love mountains as well. They're so quiet. You know, the Lake District's quite busy. I mean, obviously it's not all busy, but um, but the whole the whole Wales is just, yeah, it's nice, nice and quirky. The hills are sort of quirky. You get views that you don't get in the Lake District. Um and you get, I think, the history of the quarries as well. I, I, when the quarries blew me away when I first started wrecking. You know, there's a huge one in Lamberis, but on this big boundary ridge, you get to one before the mole winds. And it's just up there, so isolated. And these people used to walk up for like three hours to get to work and then clock in and then work. And then 
walk back. It's, uh, you know, I, I do love the quarries sort of aspect of it. You need some of them to assist you in the, uh, the navigating. Yes. <laughs> They'd be perfect for it. <laughs> yeah. So um, where do you, what are you seeing as your future now then? What type of challenges really appeal to you and, and what is, what do you think is the edge of your capabilities? Well, I know I say in that Run Forever film that I'm just trying to see where I can get to and my body's going to say, you know, enough's enough and it sort of hasn't yet. But, um, yeah, we've got a couple of challenges this year. I mean, I have just found out that um, I've got an entry into the Tour de Giants in September. So I think I'm going even longer and hopefully not even slower. But, um, yeah, so that's that's quite exciting for this year. And have you found, because, uh, you know, like myself, you've uh, got lovely platinum blonde hair, um, <laughs> you know, the ages, the, the years are ticking on by. I mean, has, have you found over the last kind of 10, 12 years, you've had to change how you train or change how you race because of age? I think I did it as part, initially, as because my training wasn't fitting in with my work. So I was seeing all my fellow runners doing say 50 miles a week 60 miles a week and I thought oh to get better I need to do that but when I tried to do that um 10 years ago I couldn't because I was too tired I was just seemingly running for the sake for the point of it Mm. getting tired and just running another five miles because it said I had to um but no and then not being able to really do the speed work so I cut my mileage down to about 30 to 40 back then and I think now yeah, I've noticed a few more sort of niggles. Um, so after the Monte Rosa in September last year, I, I got sort of, I just felt I wasn't running in line. And it's taken a while for the, I, so I've been going to the physio sports massage about once every three weeks. And we've got there. She, mm. she, she couldn't really put a finger on it, but I think I just, you know, there was just so much aching and whatever. And I think that's, as you get older, you need to sort of look after the bits that are aching and get them sports massaged and maybe, yeah, frustratingly rest a little bit more. Um, so now I do tend to do generally a lot of quality stuff and less just miles for the sake of it. And, and would you say you've mentioned speed work? Um, what, what kind of reps are you doing for that? And, and what other sessions would you qualify as quality work um so monday nights i do we call it winter mondays and it is it's hill work it's it's reps up and down a hill and then every every two weeks it's a 10k race um which is a low key sort of thing there's only about a dozen of us doing it so we're just racing each other Mm. but it's um yeah it's very competitive try really hard you've all also, if you do it every year, you've got your times from the previous years to compare against. And then I'll go out from the farm and I'll do um, three times 1K reps around the golf course with the dogs um, whenever I can. So that's what I do from home. And you, you mentioned 30 to 40 miles as your kind of weekly total, which to me I find astounding given that you're, you do such long races. is. Is your mileage substantially more when you're building up to a, a Bob Graham or a double Bob Graham? No, but then I'll go out and I can, if I go sort of to the lakes for a weekend, I'll do that 40 miles 
in the weekend and then I'll still do my regular training through that week. So that week it will be 60. I do 10, I do the, I do two hardy weeks and then an easy week. So I can do mm. sort of two longer mileage weeks and then I can drop it right down. So kind of the 30 to 40 is your kind of base running. Yeah, and average, then, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then the, the weekends almost as separate, the long hikes and things. Yeah. And um, oh, interesting. And do you do anything like weights or um, kind of core? I've done myself a plyometrics plan, so I sort of do hopping and jumping around the kitchen twice <laughs> a week to, to that. Um, and I think that, I don't know about strength, because I think I've probably got a lot of strength from the farm work, mm. but that definitely helps my stability if I'm running and I say I'm dropping off a sort of two-foot rock. I know my leg's going to land and, and not wobble. It's going to hold me straight. I can bring my other legs through. Um, yeah, it's really helped with that. Just the hopping and jumping off the steps is has been quite amazing, really. Oh, interesting. And I've I've um I've noticed quite a few of the really good fur runners do tend to be farmers, shepherds, um and, and I personally have started standing at work for the last few months and on less training I seem to not be losing too much speed. Do you think there's something about being on your feet and being just an active job that actually translates into stamina when you go to run? Yeah, I think so. Because you, your feet are used to being stood on for that length of time as well. Um, and, yeah, well, you've got to be using a little bit more energy up. So, yeah, I think having a physical dog job does um, play an important part in running. Well, in any sport, probably. And what would a physical week for you be, job-wise? Um, well, actually, in winter, it's, it's tailed down a little bit. So in the morning, there's probably about an hour's worth of bedding the cows up or feeding the cows and then at the moment I tend to try and do a sort of morning on paperwork and then the afternoon if it's nice outside um, so yeah that's I mean we've got walling jobs on and the, the land's quite dry still at the moment so we're trying to catch up with stuff like walling and fencing we're getting ready for spring it might be a long way off but we're <laughs> <laughs> so you'd say each week you probably get kind of 10 12 hours of either kind of oh, lifting yeah. things or moving things yeah. and so i mean that's just that's just strength and core workout right there really yeah oh amazing well i don't know how we're gonna try and copy that <laughs> I, like, I like the way that you try to you try to equate what you do in a day <laughs> to working on a farm <laughs> I just, well, i'm lifting my cup of tea and <laughs> yeah i mean that's 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 really interesting because that's something where as as Londoners we just will never be able to copy that level of activity um, and whether we need to try and think of ways of fitting in gym sessions that can that can actually also replicate the kind of lifting movements um, time on feet that that really helps people like yourself. I mean Josh Naylor, you know, famously he was a shepherd, wasn't he? he? Used to run around hills all the time and then go training as well. Yeah. Um, and um, if, if anyone's thinking of, of taking on the Bob Graham round, what would you? What advice would you give to them? Well, I think first of all to get up and just maybe not recce at all, but just go on some of the key sections and and figure out whether that's for you and whether um, whether when it gets hard, 
that mm. you've been able to keep yourself going. You want it. You want it that much, basically, that you're going to see yourself through quite a bit of hardship. It's not all pain. It's more like uncomfortableness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your uncomfortableness is like serious, serious <laughs> pain for someone else. I imagine. <laughs> Well, um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Is, is there anything we can? You've got the, the tour against coming up. Um, any any other way in which people can kind of track your progress, can see how you're racing, and um, follow everything? Yeah, that you do? I, I put some stuff on Facebook and Instagram, and then I've got the website um, uh, runbg.co.uk. So I think if you search for Nikki Spinks, that pops up as well. And I am trying to keep up everything updated, but um, get a bit slack at times. <laughs> I think I'd rather be running than updating. That's the thing. It's a sign yeah. of a great runner, that is. But not, yeah. <laughs> the, the people that post more aren't as, uh, aren't as good. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Um, we, well, uh, if, if I were you, listener... I'd follow Nikki quite closely over the next few months because <laughs> it's going to be exciting. We can't say anything, can we, Nikki? I don't know no. anything, <laughs> but um, I am I am absolutely pumped to see what happens in the next two or three months. Um, so, listener, we'll post out when we can say any more. Um, and um, have, have you got any big? Uh, have you got a date yet in your mind for the double Ramsey again? Or no. Um, now just uh, watch this space I suppose <laughs> when it takes fancy yeah. well, thank, you, thank you so much for coming on the podcast Nikki. Um, if you're ever down in London and need someone to take you around the very flat non-hills of uh, Hampstead or the south let me know and uh, good luck oh, well, yeah. good luck yeah. with the tour again and thank anything you. else that might throw you away thanks Nikki. <laughs> thanks Nikki. <laughs> bye Well, there we go. Amazing, amazing. Just so so humble and matter of fact about it all. Yeah, you expect that. You expect that of a seasoned fell runner, though, don't you? Yeah. That you just expect. You just like, oh yeah, just I just I just did a run and it was just you know record. I, I mean, I'd really like to be with her when she's going through a really tough time because I I think she'll probably have exactly the same demeanour. <laughs> And you'd think that she'd got a slight splinter or something in her toe. No, Sorry, no, her, not, even not, not even yeah. that. Not even that. Not even that. Yeah, you'd, you'd think, oh, if you got something slightly rubbing, and then you'd look and she'd just be bleeding all down the back of her, and she'd go, oh, it's fine, it's fine. Just absolute hardcore. I know. Do you fancy it now? I do. I, but I, you know, <clears throat> as we're talking, you know, I've done, I've done loads of walking and stuff, and... Um, Mm. And, uh, and and quite a bit of running actually, not like fell running or anything else. Just you know, just on trails and stuff in the in the Lake District. And uh, it is, I mean, it does look it it looks great. It's something that I do. I think I will want to try at some point. Mm. Um, but yeah, again, it's it's one of those ones you just got to put some time into it as well, time and and everything that goes with it. And that's what I think for me. And actually, that's what probably. And it's going to annoy uh, the people from the Lake District is that I think for us, 
we'd only do it if we were being those tourists who were being the annoying people yeah. coming on and tagging on to someone else's round and almost following someone who's done the research and um, being being the type of people that they, they probably hate up there. Um, I mean, the Ramsey round sounds like it's, it's nigh on impossible to organize unless you're really in- integrated into that community because if you've got to get your support staff to four hours just to get to the transition point. I mean, that is eight hours of traveling on foot for them just to support you. And if you think about our friends, they'd probably end up like seven miles off course. (laughs) Completely different valley. There's no way that uh, the Ross McDonald uh, transport method would get us there. <laughs> Amazing, and that's that's um that's the thing. I think that record, especially if she goes back and gets it in under forty eight hours, I think that's going to last for years and years and years. Yeah, absolutely. But I I do quite fancy the uh, Bob Graham, and I I know James has talked about trying to do a winter one and go for the winter record. Oh no, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to no. do that at all. I want to do the Killian Journey one where it's so dry. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I want to do yeah, where it's tropical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even that, or one where you can toboggan down. If there's somehow, like, I, want to, I want to do the I want to do the virtual Bob Graham. The virtual Bob Graham, indeed. You just on a staircase at your home. <laughs> yeah, someone probably will create it. But I, I still haven't got a sense of, as a challenge, like what kind what kind of level twenty four hours is, because the people that that are really good absolutely demolish the time you know the record yeah. is was it 13 hours 14 hours and so that is it's near to the kind of 100 mile mark yeah a little bit slower but a little bit slower. so it, may, it makes me wonder whether how it compares to 100 miler in 24 hours has have you um have you have you done any like hiking or anything in the, in the lake district do you, do you how, how well do you kind of know yeah. Not I mean I've I've been there several times but I'm very much a like a Londoner there where I I'd only know places once I get back to it. It's my it's my typical how I race. So I've done Manvi Lakes before. Yeah. I've done um I think I've done an Om there. I've done quite a few little events but at no point do, do I really understand where I am or the names of them or how they all link up. Um, yeah. I've, I've done a, I've done a stag to there even. So um, I, I wouldn't say I'd have any clue in what I was doing with the Bob Graham. But then if I attempted it, or if I was on the course, I'd probably then find that I'd get a 15-mile run. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I know all this bit. It's just, the thing is, it's insane, like, with the weather. Like, I, I've done, like, um, I've, like, walked, um, like, Fairfield Horseshoe, so like mm. three times and each time when the wet, when the weather's different, it's completely different. Like <clears throat> some, there's some areas like when you get onto the, uh, on the plateau at the top, at the, uh, at the, at the, you know, the top of it, it's, you can, you can just get lost there. It's just, it's like, in, it's insane. Like the, w- like, no, there's like knowing the route and then there's knowing it in all the different permutations mm. of weather and everything as well that go, that goes with it. And do you think it would be different routes depending on the weather because the wind or the rain would be different in different parts? So it would be boggier in some or... The thing about, the thing about um, Lake District, it doesn't matter whether you're mm. top of a, a mountain or the bottom of a mountain, 
it's always <laughs> boggy. I just don't understand yeah. how bog works. I'm like, how how, how is it boggy up? I, I what's it called? I went up to um, we we're climbing up to like Great Gable, and yeah. um, it was like a like a two hour hike to get up the top or something like that from where from where we were, and we got right to the top. And I took a, like a step, like pretty much what I thought was getting up to the summit, and then went up to my waist in bog. I'm like, what? How? How? Am I this high up? Am I? Am I this wet? Just made of water. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, what? How? This is not. This is. This isn't how it works. Yeah, the, the top of Scaffa Pike is actually below sea level. <laughs> no, no one realizes this. It's why it's still the, wet. The top. The top of Scaffa. When I when I went up Scaffa Pike, there was a guy who um, who was trying to run. Um, to think and he literally it, it was so hard for him to run it, he, it we were walking quicker than he was running it was it's so like, uh, like the wind rocky, how steep it was, or rocky or... and steep and because you kind mm. of go it's a it's a well from where you from where you you go in order to uh, to to climb it and stuff like it's it's it takes ages to even get mm. to the point where you're getting up onto onto scaffold pike but you do this thing where you go down and you come all the way back up again um from the from the direction we were going at and this guy just trying to pick his way up and down um you know running and stuff just kind of kind of insane like if he'd have tripped he'd have he'd have been really really screwed like like Mm. seriously seriously screwed because of because how steep it was and so you're just you know it's, it's that having to like constantly be switched on uh yeah all the time, um, yeah, and again, you, I suppose a lot has to do with the fact that, you know, like when we're talking about fell running, um, you know, you, your, your feet get to understand the terrain and, you know, you can probably mm. like trip over things a lot better than you can, you know, because you, cause you understand what the terrain is and stuff, but just the level of concentration stuff you need is just, it's insane, it's insane for something like that. And it sounds like from, from what, she, what you said and what she said that Scapa Pike is the hardest part because the fact that she didn't want to be there at night, even on the first night, um, well, the thing is, the thing is, with a lot of these, um, <clears throat> with a lot of the the fells, like when people are like hiking them, you you start at like a mm. car park and you go up to a fell and you come back down again, um, you know, and it, it, and it's quite an easy route, and so it seems quite easy to kind of navigate. But when you're going like across the fells and stuff, mm. they're connected in 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 so many different ways that it's really easy, like it, like under darkness or in in other situations, to just completely like lose your bearings. Um, if you're not if you're not really really careful, and I suppose you know when you're when you've got that level of maybe tiredness and everything that goes with it, you don't want to be you don't want to be stuck at the top you know at the top wondering which mm. you know where to go. Um, and so I, I guess think, the routes interconnecting are less tread tr- trodden, so it's yeah. probably yeah because yeah, it's a lot harder to navigate. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And because what I what I really would like to understand is if you get someone who's a very good hiker on the ups. How good would you have to be if you're good at navigation to do the 24 hour? Like how much running or you know, if, if someone just speed hiked the whole thing, I'd love to know what time that would put you in at. Cause I, I don't think it's, I don't think you'd be close to a 24 hour. No, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. I think you could, you'd have to, you'd have to run. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't, you'd speed hiking wouldn't get you even closer. I think even, I think even foot in the clouds, the guy writing it was a 315 marathon runner and he was really training hard to try and get in under 24, which is the disparity between that and someone like Nikki, who I don't think she's got crazy mad top end speed, 
but she can still smash out an unbelievably quick Bob, Bob Graham, like hours and hours and hours quicker than that. Um, so, so, yeah, that's that's for the disparity. I didn't quite know how to position the 24-hour on the... But the thing is, I suppose, that's the thing, isn't it? She's a, she's a different type of runner. She's a runner that, like, mm. I I more... Not, not maybe not the speed that she does, but I more identify with someone like her than with a lot mm. of other because like, she like hits a pace and she just sort of stays with it, you know, and just keeps going and going and going, yeah. and, you know, and, and while, while other people are blowing up and you know needing to rest and slow down and stuff like that, it's just it's that ability to to do that regardless of the, the kind of like the terrain, um, which is which when you see that you know the yeah. the I mean I, I, is there a course profile of it? Because um, that must that must just look ridiculous. Yeah, there probably is, but I, it's probably not all in one file because no one has twenty four hour GPS files, do they? It's probably split. Um, and actually, I imagine it's it's probably the type of event as well where they don't want to make it too easy. So, Dubellas, what do you think? Have you are you tempted to take it on? Is it something you've tried? Do you know the area well? But also for our international listeners. The Bob Graham is, is almost ingrained in a, a lot of running culture now just because of one book more than anything else and the, the kind of birth of fell running. But are there other big challenges like this? You know, do, do these happen in every country in the world? Or is this quite a unique... I, I think 24 hours is just one of those time limits that people will create challenges to be done within that. But does every mountain really have one? And if so, what are the equivalents? And you know, have you tried them? Get in the Facebook group and uh, make your suggestions on the alternatives. Write to us, letters at badboyrunning.com, um, or just message us Facebook uh, directly. But yeah, uh, any recommendations you'd make, JD, of other, um, other episodes that, that link in well with type of running Nicky does? And... I think the James Appleton episode, um, the famous uh, photographer, also known to, to do a bit of running as well. I think that's a, a perfect introduction to uh, to talking about fell running. Yeah, he, he, it's really good as well because he goes into a lot of the culture of running in places like Keswick and in the Lake District, which is is actually very insightful for how things like the Bob Graham round come up and and what fell running is genuinely like, um, not just on the big challenges, but racing day-to-day and training day-to-day. Um, we, in an epic scale, like the kind of 48-hour ones, we, we spoke to, to Candy Spurt, who uh, puts on three 200-mile races in North America. Really interesting episode, because she starts to talk about not not just being a race director of those type of events, but actually how people are taking on these challenges and, and how actually the, the type of people that it tracks and the approaches are, are very different from, from what we see in 24-hour runners. And uh, yeah, anyone else, J.D., you'd, you'd recommend? I think, that's a, I think that's a good little combination, actually. I forgot about the, uh, the Candy Spurt, one of the 200-milers, because um, people have been talking to me about 200-milers and stuff and you know, <clears throat> looking at it as, as options as well. Um, and I think that's, I think it's really interesting that, you know, there's a difference between a hundred mile runner and a 200 mile runner. It's kind of insane. Yeah. But then it's, it's, as Nikki said, it's that, that night of sleep or not, because you can do, you can get away with 20. Well, no one really speak. Uh, no one really 
sleeps in a 20, in a hundred at mile race. No, no, absolutely. And it. a two hundred mile, it ta- I, I don't know. Whether, I don't know whether that's like taking the pressure off or whether that adds extra pressure by knowing that mm. you have to sleep. That's what I, I think is is fascinating. Yeah. And how do you practice that? I mean, normally you train with everything and you can practice your gels, you can practice how you feel at different times, but you can't really practice how to sleep in a 48-hour period of racing until you do it. You can't practice that even on a 40, in a 100-mile. In a That's the thing. So um, it really is a, a, a shot in the dark when you go out to do the race. Yeah, yeah, insane, insane. But it, but thanks for listening, and uh, please subscribe. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a, a five-star or whatever the maximum review is on iTunes or wherever you listen, it, uh, listen to this podcast. If you've got suggestions of future guests, you can either message directly, again, letters at badboyrunning.com. Uh, we're, we're now trying to get our Instagram up and running, actually, so you can message us directly on there, although we are a little bit like uh, two men in their 30s and 40s trying to do that. Thankfully, Anya has been a legend on there. But um, do tag us in there as well. Photos of you of your bad boy running tops. Any, um, any, anything you see that you think would be interesting to us, we're going to be featuring those on, the, um, on our Instagram feed. And uh, get in the Facebook group where you can suggest either through articles or by just putting the bio in there and tagging us in it so we actually do get a notification of either episodes, races, stories, or individuals who wanted to get on, and we'll, we'll go out and get them for you. Anything else, Jody? No, I think you've covered it, man. And if you want to drink along, beer52.com slash badboyrunning, and you two can drink um, this North some Korean, Korean stuff. Beer. It's all right. It's all right. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. What? It's not all bad, is it? Right. Cheers, guys. See you later. Bye, 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 bye. Fuck you, buddy.